2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of Seger? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they, have, so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaguers over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, my flog with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I've always uh, really prided myself on being a really good gift giver. You know, around Christmas time, I, I feel like I always am able to, to put the right present under the tree. You know, I have, a, about this time of year, I start having what I call my gift radar. You know, and I'm, I'm listening to people, you know, what things are they complaining about? What are they saying they wish they had or is broken, you know, and, and I'm just sort of uh, taking it all in. I pride myself on having a knack um, to, uh, to get that gift that the person didn't know that they wanted, right? That, that they really wanted, but they just didn't know it yet. And so, so the, the quickest way to get me to like lose interest in a gift is just to tell me like straight out, you know, honey, I want a diamond for Christmas, right? Because then I'm not interested in it because I want to figure it out myself. And so, um, so my gift radar usually works pretty well. 
Uh, one year, about this time, uh, Crystal was, uh, was complaining. She was kind of on a health kick, and she was complaining that, um, that it was really hard to get to the gym and then get to work. And, and you know, she wished she had some of the stuff at home. And that just kind of got my gift radar going. And I took that information with me to Target. And I got, uh, I, I got everything you needed for a home gym. I got, you know, the little, the little weights, the, the tension bands, the, um, the, the, that, that ridiculous ball thing that you sit on, right? I, I got all of it. And, uh, and I thought, boy, she's going to be so surprised, right? She's going to open this stuff. It was like Christmas at the Biggest Loser Ranch. I mean, it just had everything she needed. She's going she's gonna to look at all this, and she's going to be so speechless. And she was speechless. Ah, <laughs> uh, she, she was speechless. And, um, and, and I don't mind telling you that was the beginning of a long, dark period in our marriage. Um, I would have done a lot better if I had sold a kidney and went and got that diamond ring she asked for. <laughs> My life would have been a lot better. Um, have you ever gotten someone something that they didn't really want, right? Have you ever sort of misfired and got someone something, maybe for your birthday or for Christmas, that, that they just, they opened it and you can tell by their reaction, I messed up, I got the wrong thing, right? Maybe even you offended them. That's exactly what David does in our passage this morning, right? David hatches this, his gift radar gets going, and he decides that he's going to get God a temple. And, uh, and, 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 and it turns out not to be the gift that God ever asked for. Right? Uh, David is looking around and he's accomplished everything he's ever set out to accomplish. His, he's at peace with his neighbors. He's united the tribes. He, he's finally king in his kingdom. He's worked so hard for this. And he, but he's a man of action. And he's looking around and he's trying to figure out what to do next. Then he gets in his head. He, he's just sort of looking around and he says to himself, here I am living in this beautiful palace I've got columns and, and, and statues and everything I need all around me. Here I am living like a king, and God is still living in a tent. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build God a house of Seeger. I'm going to build uh, God uh, his own house fit for a God. So he calls the prophet Nathan in. Say, what, what do you think of this idea? And Nathan's excited about it. He says, says, go ahead. Everything you've got in mind, go do it. They both leave the church meeting. They're excited. Nathan probably goes home and tells his wife, you'll never guess what we're doing. We're, we're going to build a temple. Uh, it's going to employ so many people. Um, uh, finally, uh, uh, God's going to have a, a temple worthy of his name. And, uh, and, and, and he goes to bed excited. But then he has a dream. One of those really, really vivid dreams, the kind you can get up and walk around in, right? He has this dream, and in this dream, he hears God's voice. And God says to Nathan, the whole time I've been with you, I've lived in a tent. The whole time I've been with you and wandered with you through the wilderness. Did I ever turn to Moses or Joshua or any of those other people? Did I ever turn to them and say, why haven't you built me a house yet? 
He says, thanks for that temple, but no thanks. David had got God a gift that he didn't really want. So this begs the question, why were David and Nathan so sure that they needed to build a temple? Why were they so sure that they had this meeting and they didn't even have to pray about it? They just, they just knew that this was what God wanted them to do. Why were they so sure about this? I think to wrap our heads around this, we've got to sort of, uh, got to sort of think about what a temple meant to people back then in the ancient Near East. Who here is happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All of us, all of us, good. What do you mean by that? Not the happy part, we all know what it means to be happy, right? What do you mean when you call this building the house of the Lord? Do you mean that this is where God lives and he commutes everywhere else? And if this is the house of the Lord, well then what's Bridal Creek, what's Bethany, what's the Baptist church, right? See, you and I as Christians, we've got a New Testament understanding, a New Testament theology when it comes to the house of the Lord. See, you and I take for granted that God is everywhere, right? We just, we, we grow up learning that God is everywhere. But we also understand that wherever two or more are gathered in his name by his Holy Spirit, he dwells with them in a special way. Right? So we understand that God is everywhere, but that, that when we assemble here together, this becomes the house of the Lord. Because we are gathering in his name, and so he dwells with us. He's right here with us in a specialer way, in a more abundant way. Right? We have this sort of abstract understanding when we, we talk about the house of the Lord as Christians. But for the ancient Israelites and their neighbors, when they talked about the house of the Lord, they were, they were thinking in very concrete terms. They were thinking of a house that God actually lived in, right? See, if you looked at an ancient Israelite and you said, God is everywhere, they would have looked at you sideways. What do you mean everywhere? No, God, can only be in one place at one time. See, eventually they would come to understand over a thousand year relationship with God, of being his, his chosen people. They would come to understand God was bigger than their imagination, that he was everywhere, that he was the God of everything. But right now in their history, they understood that God could only be in one place at one time, right? God was either on his mountain in Sinai or up in heaven or here in Jerusalem with us. He's not everywhere. He's in one place at one time. Ancient people took this for granted. And so what you had to do was, you know, it was good news if God was with you, right? If God was with you when you rode into battle, then you would surely win, right? God's presence and his favor and his blessings would be with you if he was with you. And so what people would do was, is, is they would make a house for God to live in so that, so that he would be with the city, right? So that he wouldn't be off in heaven ignoring them or off on his holy mountain somewhere, that he would be right there, that he would dwell with his people. 
So that's what the temple business was all about. That's what, what having a house is all about. Having a, having, having a, a place for God to live. In the ancient world, the most beautiful and the most, and, and, and the biggest uh, building in town wasn't the king's palace. It was the temple. And the God of that city had more, uh, more wait staff and more attendants uh, than, than, than even the king, right? These were what the priests were. Every day bringing the God meals and every day making sure the God was happy, right? Because you didn't want your God to leave because you didn't want his presence to leave, his blessings to leave, you know? And, and so, so it was all about building a building fit for a God so the God would stay. Be hanging with me? Nathan and David think they need to build a temple because they want God to stay. They're afraid God's going to leave them. See, three years ago, we talked about a man named Abraham. And Abraham receives this promise from God, this covenant. God takes Abraham and says, I make this promise to you. Look at the stars on the face of the sky. As many stars as you see in the sky, so shall your offspring be. Then he took him through the land of Canaan. And he showed him all the borders of the land of Canaan. He said, I will give this land to your offspring. And these are what the borders will be. Now, as David and Nathan sit, they're ruling over a kingdom. This is numerous as the stars in the sky. And all the borders are fixed exactly where God said they would be. In other words, God has fulfilled his covenant. And they're worried that God has run out of things to do. Maybe he's ready to move on. Maybe he's going to go retire back in Mount Sinai. Or maybe uh, he's going to find another people that need his help. Maybe he's going to go up to heaven and, 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 and worry about angels or things like that, Right? And so they say, before he leaves, we need to make him a house so he will stay with us. See, David, David thinks he's got to do one more thing to ensure God's blessings and his favor and his presence. Just this one more thing I'll do, and then God will stay with me forever. Isn't that amazing? Think about David for just a second. All the things David has accomplished already. He's united God's people. He's driven out God's enemies. He, he, he's become king. He's brought the ark of God into the city. He's, he, he's written countless psalms at this point. He's known as a man after God's own heart. He's stacked all of these things up that he's done for God. And he looks at it and he says, it's not enough. I've got to do this one more thing and then God will stay. One more thing. I wonder how many of us feel like we've got to do one more thing. If we do one more thing, then God will be happy with us. And God will bless us. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll feel God's presence in our life. Just one more thing. It will be enough. I hear it all the time. You know, I hear it in... Yeah, the thing people tell me is, Pastor, I know I should, dot, dot, dot. Pastor, 
I know I should come to church more. It's my health. And the summer is too hot and the winter is too cold. Um, or it's my parents' health. You know, I'm taking care of them and I can't leave them alone. And I know I should come more. I know I should. Or, Pastor, I know I should come to Bible study. But you know what? My, my son is in four sports right now. And it's all we can do to get him fed and to practice and to the game. And, and, and we're just doing our best. And I know I should come to Bible study. Pastor, I know I should pray more. I know God must, uh, must be upset with my prayer life. But, Pastor, I know I should read the whole Bible. I've wanted to for years. I know I should do that, Pastor. I know I should. There's always one more thing. We, we look at the stack of things we've done our entire life, the people that we have brought to Christ, the people that we have raised in the faith, the things that we have done for the church, the things that we have done to impact our neighborhood. We look at all of it and we say, God just isn't happy with that. There's got to be one more bill to put on that stack. One more thing, and then that would be enough. And here's the insanity. It's never enough, right? Because if you did that one more thing, then you'd think of something else, wouldn't you? Right? One more thing we need to do to earn our place at the table, to make God finally happy so he will bless us. We think of God like sort of like this maniac cruise director, Right? Like, like life is a cruise and all you want to do is, is lay on the deck and read your book and soak the sun. But there's this list of activities, isn't there? Right? There's, there's, there's the shrimp buffet on the Lego deck. There's limbo. There's, a, there's game show night. There's, you know, there's bingo in the hall, right? And, 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 and we feel like we're letting the cruise director down if we're not doing all the things on the list. And so we don't have time for Sabbath. We don't have, have time for our family and have time for our friends because we're just, we're checking off all the things on the Maniac Cruise Director's list. Listen, I'm a fan of coming to church, right? I'm a fan of Bible study. I'm a fan of, of doing all the things. But I want you to hear some good news this morning. It's okay. Hear the good news. It's okay. You can't come to, if you can't come to church because you're taking care of your sick parents or you're not feeling so well yourself, it's okay. If, 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 if you've got your kids into so much and doing so much and, and, and you just can't fit Bible study into all of it, it's okay. During this season of your life, in the short time that they're in your house, your kids are your priority. During this season in your life, while, while, while you've, you've got parents to take care of, they're your priority. If you've not read the whole entire Bible, it's okay. You get there eventually. If you, if you don't pray so hard that you levitate, it's okay. 
Neither does the pastor. It's okay. It's, there's not one more thing you have to do. You can just rest in His grace. See, as Christians, we don't do the good things so that we do them because. In other words, we, we, we don't pray so that God will love us. We don't, uh, we don't, we don't uh, serve the poor so that we, we will get blessings. We, you know, we don't do these things so that we do them because. Because God has already blessed us with his presence and his grace and his favor. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. We don't do things so that we do them because. In joyful response to what God has already done. This is what David learns. See, David says, uh, after David um, offers uh, God this temple, here's what God says in response. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This paragraph I just read is often, we call it the Davidic Covenant. Because this is the promise that God makes to King David. He has just fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And then he says, but I'm not done. I'm not going anywhere. I'm making a new covenant with you. I'm going to stay here with you. I am going to bless your house. All of your sons that come after you, your grandsons and great-grandsons, they will be kings in your name. And then, and then when they're gone... There will come a future king in your name who, 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 who will rule for all eternity. In other words, God says, you don't build my house, I build yours. I'm building up the house of David today. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to see it through to the end. You've got it backwards. You don't build my house, I build yours. See, God's presence, his, his favor, his blessings in our lives is not something we earn. It's not something that we get because of a transaction. It is an unmerited gift of grace. He's in it for the long haul. There's no one more thing we have to do. Uh, this month's issue of Time Magazine has a great interview with Dr. Jane Goodall. Does everyone know who Dr. Jane Goodall is? She was this, uh, she was this woman in the 70s that went and lived with the chimpanzees, right? And she studied everything the chimpanzees were doing. Now, in order for Dr. Jane Goodall to, to really see what the chimpanzees were doing, not just how they acted when humans were around, right? She had to be accepted into their society, she had to get them to, to, to be comfortable with her so that she could just watch and take notes. And she talks about the moment that she knew that she was finally accepted by the chimpanzees. 
She was living in Tanzania. She would, she would go uh, to get to, out to where your chimpanzees were every day. And in the morning, she, would get, she had this, th- these palm nuts, and she would offer them palm nuts, you know, to show that she wasn't a threat, that she was a friend, that she was just here to watch. And so they would take the palm nuts, and, and, and they would eat them. And she said, there was this chimpanzee named David Graybeard. You can see why they call him David Graybeard, right? He's jet black except for this right, you know, right here. Kind of like, kind of like me, right? I've got this right here. And, uh, and, and David Graybeard um, was the first to really accept her. And she says the moment she knew she was accepted by David Graybeard, uh, she had come out in the morning and she was offering her palm nuts. And she said, uh, the, uh, she said uh, David Graybeard took the palm nuts into his hand and then flung them over his shoulder. And then he took Dr. Jane's hands and clasped them and squeezed them, right? That was the chimp's nonverbal way of saying, I don't care about the stuff. I don't care about the food. I just want your presence. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that exactly what God did for David? Oh, this temple you want to build me? I don't care about that. I just want your presence. Isn't that exactly what God does for each of us? The the Bible study? I just want your presence. Serving on that board? I, I just want you. There is no enough. You are enough. He just wants your heart. Who's happy to be in a house of the Lord this morning? This is the house that Grace built. It's not uh, it's not a, a house that, that is built out of, out, out of fine cedar. It's built out of the rough-hewn wood of the cross. This is the house that Grace built. And we come every Sunday morning with our offerings. Here's what I did for you this week, God. Here, 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 here's what I'm going to do for you this week, God. Takes it, flings it over his shoulder, and says, you are enough. This is the house that grace built. So enter with nothing but your hearts and empty hands, knowing that you are enough. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.